0: on the outside. People were standing. Some didn't even have a place to sit and stood the entire service. But it didn't matter. They were hungry for God. Thursday night and Friday night in uh, the city of David in the storefront building that Brother and Sister Melendez are renting. Just a long narrow storefront. And he built a little wall to kind of divide it and uh, put an office behind that wall and There was one window unit in the entry of the church, and that was supposed to cool the entire sanctuary. And um, I guess if you were sitting on the back couple of rows, it probably did cool. But by the time it got to the platform, I didn't feel it. I can promise you I didn't feel it. And uh, preach a little while and then watch those people flood to the altars and seek God and pray with everything they had and then to get in the altars and work those altars until I was just about bathed in my own sweat and um, but they were so hungry and so receptive to everything that was said and and so humbled and uh, I'm telling just just broke my heart the last night several of them testified and wept and thank God that we were willing to come to see them and to care about them and and to preach to them and uh, again watching them flood the altars that night and and um, I know of at least one woman who received actually multiple miracles in that service Sunday night Uh, she came into the service sick if I understand right she had some kind of chills or something going on in her body God took that away she had a problem with her shoulder she couldn't use her shoulder God healed that instantly one of her knees was all messed up God healed that instantly and um, just, just several things that God did while we were there and, and I, I'm just telling you it, God responds to hunger and desire He really does He really does and uh, just so moved, so moved by our trip there. And um, in fact, I've told a couple of the young preachers already that they will go to Panama. I, and I think it was Brother Merriman. I said, that's not, that's not a suggestion. That's a pastoral mandate. I think that was the term. I, if it wasn't him, it was somebody. I don't know. But uh, a pastoral mandate. You will go to Panama amen and um it's just life-changing life-changing and we we assured those people that the church here would continue to pray for them um you know one of the ladies gripped my hand tears in her eyes said please don't forget about us and please have your church pray for us and i said we we will we will there's there's no question we're already praying for you, but we're going to continue to pray for you, and, and um, praise God, and so I made a commitment on your behalf, and I'm trusting that you're going to keep that commitment, and you're going to be praying for Brother and Sister Melendez, and uh, for the church there, the work there, a number of obstacles they're facing, things that they are trying to to get worked out, and... and um, you know, it, it just it gave me an even deeper appreciation for what our missionaries have to deal with. Brother Melendez um, doesn't have a guaranteed salary, and uh, even the tithing that comes in from the people, the average worker there, the average worker, if he has a good steady job, I'm not talking about doctors and lawyers, but just the average worker with a good, solid, steady job, makes $30 a week. And um, their dollars are equivalent to our dollars. It's, it's a one-for-one one exchange. Um, $30 a week. And so even when they're paying tithes, there's not much coming in. You understand? His missionary visa does not allow him to work. He cannot work a job there. In fact, the country of Panama, very restrictive of any outsiders working and taking jobs away from the panamanian people unlike the united states Uh, even a man there with a legal visa cannot work a job in that country uh, as a missionary and so he's totally dependent on the contributions really of the churches in the united states just for them to make ends meet Um, they are facing a dilemma within the next year Uh, their daughter Raquel will turn 26 at the point of 20 that she turns 26 Um, they will no longer allow brother and sister Melendez to simply consider her as their dependent child but she is going to have to get some kind of visa that will let her stay there uh, which really she's probably going to have to apply for a missionary visa as well the only way she can stay in the country and if she does that she cannot work a job um she can't work a job right now so they have no income other than the support that's being sent to them from the states and what little bit they get from the people there
1: and so we we really
0: want to we need to pray for them we need to get under a burden for them and in fact at some point at some point i i fully intend for us to receive a good offering for them and you can be thinking about it and praying about it but Uh, He's having to rent a house right now. They've been renting. They've been there 10 years. In October, it'll be 10 years that they've been in Panama, and he's been renting all this time. Uh, He's finally been able to put a little down payment on a piece of property, and he told me that uh, he can build a house there. Um, The total cost for the land and the house, if I understand correctly, is $18,000. That's not a whole lot of money for us in the United States. And I think a few churches getting together could just, he can't get a loan. They will not, the Panamanian banks will not consider any income that comes from the states. Um, So he can't get a loan there. Uh, Of course, no one in the states is going to loan him money to build in Panama. So they just have to do it a little bit at a time as they get money. But I just think of a few churches would get under a burden I think that we could supply him with that $18,000 and let them have a house of their own. Praise God. I just believe we could do that. And I believe that we ought to start praying right now that God will make a way and that we can be a big part of helping them to be able to, buy, to, to, uh, to pay for that land and, and build a house. Amen, praise God. Well, hallelujah. I don't ever want us to have our focus solely on what's going on in these four walls. I want us to understand we have an obligation. We have an obligation to reach the world. And if we can't go, the only other option is to give. Hallelujah. And so we, we really have an obligation to do what we can to help them out. Amen. And so um, um, I, I am trusting that you will be in prayer for the Melendez family and the work in Panama. Uh, he is coming back to the States in October. Um, brother Dudley is going to be hosting the holiness conference this year in Junction City and brother Howard is going to be preaching that uh, and brother McMullen uh, who is here that's quite a lineup just those two and I think a couple of other men as well but those two alone is quite a lineup and um, so um, you're invited in fact we'll be changing the church calendar here shortly and I'm sure we'll have a Tuesday night service then, and you'll be welcome to go. Probably want to get your reservations in pretty quick. Somebody needs to get that bulletin board done. I'm not even sure who's supposed to be doing it, but I'm putting the request out. We need to get that done and back up on the wall ASAP uh, so we can post some flyers again and make the church aware of what's going on. Um, But you are invited to go and be a part of that conference uh, but Brother Melendez is coming back for that. He's bringing with him um, the man who heads up his preaching point in Concepcion. And um, the two of them, Lord willing, are going to stop by here on the Sunday after that conference and be in service with us. And uh, so we're excited about that. Praise God. Amen. Tomorrow night, youth rally slash anniversary service in Atchison. And um, Brother Ogle called me today and told me the man who was scheduled to preach for him told him, he said, Brother Ogle, I am from Oklahoma, not just Oklahoma, Southern Oklahoma, and I'm not just from Southern Oklahoma, I am part Indian. We don't do snow. I will not be there tomorrow night. And um, so. Brother Ogle called me, and he said, is there any way that you would fill in on a short notice? And I said, for my friend, I will do whatever you want. And so looks like I'm going to be preaching tomorrow night in Atchison, But you are invited to go in spite of that fact. And um, uh, welcome to go and be a part of the service there in Atchison. We love the Ogle family. They are so faithful to come to whatever meeting we have. Anything that we have going on, you can count on the Ogles to be here. And, you know, it's just not right that they make the drive and we don't. Many times they're late because they're working during the day, but they still come. And we make the excuse, well, I don't get off work in time. Well, neither does he, but he still comes. And um, I think we can put forth a little effort and show our support for Brother Ogle. Amen? Oh, that was weak. Amen? All right, that's better. Praise God. Hallelujah. We love the Ogles very, very much and um, want to show our support to them. And we want to just pack that house out and uh, we want to pray some people through while we're over there tomorrow night. Praise God. Well, I come to this pulpit tonight after um, an extensive absence of preaching because before I left, we had Brother Frazier here. And and um, so he preached uh, Thursday, Friday, and Sunday. And then I was gone, and Brother Sisler, uh, I heard good reports about his preaching while I was gone. I have not listened to the messages yet, but I did hear... Good reports about his preaching while I was gone. But I'm here tonight to preach to you from the burden of my heart. I have only a few scriptures. Very few scriptures tonight that I want to read. Because I don't think it's going to take a lot to explain to you what I'm feeling. And I must admit to you that I think part of this was birthed while I was in Panama. Seeing what I saw. And understanding that God's not a respecter of persons. Everything I saw in Panama, we can see in Olathe. Yeah. Same God. Same message. Brother Melendez is not preaching anything any different than I'm preaching. Well, hallelujah. And so, just a very, very few scriptures tonight. And um, just want to preach to you with a burden. Um, Genesis chapter 30. Familiar verses of scripture. But this is what I feel tonight. Genesis chapter 30. And I will read the first two verses of that chapter. Genesis chapter 30 verses 1 and 2. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children... Or else I die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, or against Rachel, and he said, "Am I in God's stead, who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? Give me children, or else I die. That's the only two options. That's it. There's no other choice. There is no, there is no C in this. It's children or death. That's it. I'm not accepting anything else. This is it. I want to preach to you for just a few moments tonight. I really don't plan to be very long at all. As I said, I don't think it's going to take a whole lot to convey what I'm feeling tonight. It's not going to take an in-depth Bible study to get this across. A few verses of Scripture, I think, will convey the burden of my heart. But I want to preach to you for a few moments tonight about the tipping point of revival. The tipping point of revival. Amen. Would you put your Bibles down, lift your hands Lift your voices. Let's talk to God together right now. We need his touch. Jesus, we need your touch. We need your presence. We need your power. God I desire a move of the Holy Ghost tonight In this place I want you to do something in our hearts God That we would not leave this service The way we walked in tonight Help us God To reach that tipping point Help us God Hallelujah Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Praise God! Praise God! Praise God! Amen! Amen! God bless you. You may be seated. In the year 2000, author Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book that he titled The Tipping Point How Little Things can make a big difference in the book he studied the factors that surrounded what caused certain things to go viral if you please to use today's terminology i don't think he used that phrase in the book that's a fairly recent phrase but but you understand what i mean when i say to go viral to spread like a virus what what causes some things to really catch on and 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 he wasn't writing about anything spiritual. In fact, I think he dealt with hush puppy shoes that were a fad in the 1990s and, and a few other things that he talked about in the book. But... He said, what is it that makes something really catch on and really begin to spread and other things can either go unnoticed or, or just kind of be a flash in the pan and then they're gone. And So he began to study all of that and, and he, he said that there is a crucial juncture uh, which he called the tipping point that signals a key moment of crystallization that unifies isolated events into a significant trend he defined the tipping point as that moment of critical mass that threshold that boiling point the tipping point was where everything changed things quit being the way they were it's no longer the status quo but something has moved it into the next realm and it has caught on and it has taken off Now, I'm not here tonight to discuss the merits of the book or the lack thereof. I simply want to borrow the terminology to express a concept. I want to talk to you tonight about the one factor that changes a church from the status quo to becoming a vibrant, growing, thriving revival church. I'm tired of status quo. I'm tired of things being the way they are. I'm tired of just going on the way we've always gone on. I'm tired of coming to church and seeing the same old thing service after service. I'm ready for a tipping point. I'm ready for something to change. Hallelujah. I would dare say that most of us tonight are well aware of the story of Jacob's love for Rachel and how he committed to her father that he would work for seven years to be able to marry her. Uh, I don't know what's happened in this day and age, but I dare say there are a few people that'd be willing to wait around seven years for anything. When we want something, we want it now. We don't want to wait. We want it now. Um, But Jacob, Jacob said, if that's what it takes, I love her enough, I'll, I'll work for seven years. And you, you know the story of how his father-in-law deceived him he worked his seven years and then the wedding came and, and uh, he was given the bride and the next morning he realizes that the woman he married is not the woman he loved. It's her sister Leah. And he goes to Laban and, and protests who wouldn't. And Laban said, well, you know, it's against our custom to to do that, which I'm not going to get into all that, but Laban's just a liar. That's all there is to it, and he, that's right. I mean, you know, if that was the case, he would have told Jacob that when Jacob asked. You, you, don't, you don't surprise him like that. It's just, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't buy it. I just don't buy it. But but anyhow, this is not our custom. We don't let the younger get married before the older. We just don't allow that to happen in this country. And so you're, you're stuck with Leah. I mean, that's your wife. And and if you want Rachel, you can work for another seven years and, and uh, you can have Rachel. And he agreed. I'm willing to work a total of 14 years because I love this woman. Now, if I understand the scripture correctly, he didn't have to wait till the end of 14 years to get her just simply had to make the commitment you understand he'd already proven to Laban that he would keep his word and so he then gets to marry his love and he marries Rachel Um, now here's what I begin to realize today that I've never really just stopped and thought about I i began to look at what went on in this state of affairs and and we are all familiar with rachel's statement that i read to you in genesis 30 and 1 give me children or else i die familiar with that statement but I, i guess it never really dawned on me the exact timing of how all this came about and i want you to bear with me for just a few moments here but I don't know. I don't know how much time passed before Leah had her first child. It, in reading the story, it almost seems like they get married and, you know, it's not long and she's expecting. And so within the first year, she's got a baby. But that's a year. All right? It's a year. Nine months, but give or take, it's a year. Then... She has another baby. and another. and another. four sons, four sons. Four years, at least right? Four years at least, that pass. Before we finally get to our text. Four years of watching Leah with her babies. Of watching Jacob make over his little boys. Of watching Jacob as he picks those boys up and holds them in his arms. And feels the pride that any dad would feel with his sons four years she watched that go on and it just doesn't seem i know it was bothering her i know that it had to be getting to her i know it had to be affecting her but i wonder why did it take her four years before we finally get to verse one read
1: and And when rachel saw
0: that she bare no children four years four years down the road she says you know i'm not having any kids four years and she finally sees she's not bearing children read
1: rachel envied her sister
0: and four years down the road she starts envying her sister
1: and said unto jacob and that's when she goes to jacob give me children and
0: says Give me children
1: or else I die or else
0: I die Do you understand there was time that passed there was a period of time where Rachel just accepted things as they were There was a period of time. She wasn't having babies the first year, but it didn't bother her that bad She didn't have a baby the second year, but it just didn't really get to her the third year comes and goes and still not a peep out of Rachel Four years after they get married, she finally starts saying, you know, I don't like this. I'm not happy with the way this is. It takes four years of watching that union between Jacob and Leah. Watching those babies grow. Watching him make over his sons. Four years of just seeing it Pass her by before she finally cries out, give me children or I'm going to die. I can't take it anymore. Now the problem was she was only desperate enough to try to fix things on her own. And What did she do? How did she deal with this? She said, I know what I'll do. I'll go get my handmaid. And you, you go into my handmaid and you have children by her and I'll call them mine and, and I'll just claim that they're my children. They, they're, 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 she's not birthing them. She is not the one that's travailing over them. But I'll just call them mine. Because they're coming from a handmaid and, and that ought to make me happy and that that ought to satisfy things. And, and then I want you to notice the, the, the progression of what happens at this point. Because there are two sons that are born to Jacob and Rachel's handmaid Bilhah. And then after that, that's two more years. Are you following me? Two more years. Every time there's a baby born, we're talking about basically another year has passed two more years two more sons and then leah starts having babies again i'm sorry leah says i'm not having babies so she gives her handmaid zilpah and zilpah starts having babies and two sons are born to zilpah this is two more years and then leah starts having children and leah has four sons and a daughter Five more years. Nine years have passed. Not a peep out of Rachel. Not a word out of Rachel. now she said she was desperate. She said, give me children else I die. She said the words. Well, hallelujah. But another nine years passed without a peep out of her. But finally, after nine more years, after 13 years of marriage, she did have a baby and named him Joseph. But how did she have that baby? Let's look at verse 23.
1: And she conceived... And bear a son and said, God hath taken away my reproach. I'm sorry. Reproach. I, gave,
0: I think I gave you the wrong one. She she conceived and bare a son, but I think, I think that I need you to back up. Uh, yeah, verse 22 is what I really wanted you to read. If you would get that for me, I'm sorry. Genesis chapter 30 and verse 22 is where we really want to read. She did conceive and have a son in verse 23 and said, God took away my reproach. But let's read verse 22 and see what it says. And God... And God remembered Rachel
1: and God hearkened to her. And
0: God hearkened to her. And oh. the first time Rachel just said it with her mouth. And she said it to her husband, but her husband can't fix the problem. Only God can fix the problem. But it took her all of these years, 13 long years, before something got a hold of Rachel and she said, I know who can solve this situation and I'm not going to quit until God takes away this reproach. I'm telling you, there was finally a tipping point in Rachel's heart. She said, I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied with my handmaid having babies. I'm not satisfied that we've got children around. I want it to be mine. I want my baby to be my own. She had to get desperate enough to cry out to God and let God take away that reproach. You see, that's the way she saw it. 13 years I've been married to this man and I've got no children. This is a reproach. This is a shame i shouldn't go childless this is not normal this is not natural i can't live like this i can't just accept this as it is i can't just look around at an empty nursery i can't just rejoice that my sister's having babies and my handmaidens having babies and my sister's handmaidens having babies that's not good enough i gotta have own. I've got to have something myself. It's got to happen for me. I just wonder what would have happened if Rachel had gotten that desperate in her first year of marriage. You know, the children of Israel, Brother Epley preached about it last night went down to, he was preaching in Emporia, Kansas. Last night, Brother Merriman and I drove down and heard Brother Epley. And he preached about Moses and Pharaoh. But here's what, here's what hit me today. Israel was in bondage for 400 years. Now, it wasn't always bondage. Let me back up. They were in Egypt for 400 years. But there was a good part of that 400 years that it was bondage. They, they, they had become slaves. And every child that they, that they had born into their family was born a slave. But they had come to accept that. They had lived for years, for decades. Perhaps for centuries. As slaves and that's okay. We're okay with that. But something happened. God sent a deliverer. God raised up Moses. God said, I'm going to set him free. Why did God do it after 400 years? Why did it take 400 years for God to set him free? Let me show you what the Bible says. Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 8.
1: And the Lord said, the Lord said I have surely seen the affliction I have seen of the my affliction people of which of are, are people. in Egypt. Uh-huh. And I have heard their cry. And I have heard their Cry by reason of their task. I heard their cry. I heard their cry. 400 years. Could you have gotten out sooner, Israel?
0: Is it possible that something could have happened? Why did it take you 400 years to finally start crying out for help? Because I'm telling you, when they cried, God heard them. When they cried, God answered. God said, I heard their cry and I know their sorrows read.
1: And I am come down, to deliver, I have come come down
0: to deliver them out of the hand of the
1: Egyptians, to bring them to bring up, them out, up of out of land, that into land, into to land. take
0: them to a place of revival, and a large, of good land a, land, a large going land, land flowing honey, with milk and
1: honey, a place,
0: of a the place that's been inhabited Davidites, by others, but, the but the I'm Ebrides, going to make the it the theirs. The Why? Why? Why is God? doing it now because they cried they finally got desperate they finally reached a point they said we don't like it in Egypt anymore we're not happy in Egypt anymore we don't want to stay in Egypt anymore get us out of here God and God said that's what I've been waiting on I've been waiting on you to reach that place that you're not happy like that anymore and as soon as you really got desperate I have sent a deliverer for you of the American Revolution, there was a great debate among the colonies. Should we get involved, or shouldn't we? I mean, after all, England's done a lot for us. You know, we're here because of them. England does a lot of good for us, and you know, it's going to cost us a whole lot. If we get involved in this fight, uh, it's going to cost us something. And we're going to have men die. If we send soldiers into this battle, we're going to have our our brothers, our uncles, our fathers are going to die. If, If we get involved in this battle, we're going to lose the ones we love. And they're in the process of debating it. And in the Commonwealth of Virginia, They have met to debate the issue. And history tells us it's a heated debate. And they're not really sure and they're wavering and, and, and it's very possible that they came close to just saying no, no. It's, it's just not worth it. It's, just, it's it's we don't even, how in the world is a ragtag bunch of untrained men going to take on the most powerful army in the world? What have we got against them? They've got trained soldiers. They've got better weapons. They are organized. They they, they know what they're... We don't know anything about all of this. What are we going to do? How can we possibly win? But it was in the midst of that heated debate that Patrick Henry stood up and made his famous speech and said to them, I don't know what course anybody else is going to take. But as for me give me liberty or give me death you're worried about dying I don't care if I have to die these are my only choices I'm not going to live a slave I'm not going to stay the way things are this is it for me it's either liberty or it's death I don't want any other choice I don't have any other option And history says that that speech is credited with having swung the balance to convince the Virginia House of Burgesses to pass the resolution to deliver the Virginia troops to the Revolutionary War. And among the delegates were Thomas Jefferson and George Washington. I'm telling you that it was because one man reached a tipping point. He said, I've had all of this I can take. I don't want to go on like this anymore. I'm not satisfied with the way things are. It's their liberty or it's death I'm going to tell you church I fear that the church of America has become so comfortable we have grown so used Amen, to just going on with the status quo if we come in and have good church fine if we don't have good church that's just as fine we at least were there we made our presence known we put our few dollars in we paid our tithes we are living the standard what else differs for in my spirit that we go home two minute nights when nothing really has happened and we never think twice about it for all the good reports I heard about brother sisters preaching I didn't hear anybody nobody said to me but pastor we didn't have anybody get the Holy Ghost we didn't have anybody in the altars we didn't baptize nobody's troubled by it We heard good preaching. The preacher preached us in the altar again. We cried a little bit. Promised God we'd make some changes. Like we've done service after service after service. Year in and year out. And we're okay with that. And we're satisfied with that. It's okay. I prayed a little bit. I suit my conscience. I'm okay. I wonder. I wonder what would happen if we went home tonight and just couldn't sleep. I said, God, I'm just miserable because nobody got the Holy Ghost in tonight's service. God, I. I hear about revival in Panama. I'm glad my sister's having babies, but But God, what about me? What about me? I, it's not good enough that Leah has some babies. I, that, that, that's, that's not enough. I've got to have a baby of my own. In fact, we need to get the attitude. It's not even enough. If brother, brother Dale brought somebody to church and they prayed through, that, that shouldn't make us feel comfortable either unless we're Brother Dale. I'm thankful that my brother's having babies. But God, what's wrong with me? What's what's wrong with me? Why? Why haven't I brought anybody to church that's prayed through? Why haven't I taught a Bible study to somebody and they've seen the truth and gotten baptized in Jesus' name? What's wrong with me, God? I'm glad to hear the stories of others. I'm thankful for the others. I'm I'm, I'm glad for the sound of children in the house. I'm I'm glad that, that the kingdom of God's going forth. But look here, God. I'm not satisfied until that little one is mine. I'm not satisfied until that's my baby that's talking in tongues. When God spoke to the churches of Asia, He rebuked the Ephesians because they lost their first love. He didn't rebuke them for the way they lived. He rebuked them for the way they loved. He didn't say you don't have any love. He said your love's not like it was when you first came. Does anybody remember? Remember? Does anybody remember when you first received the Holy Ghost? How desperate you were to see somebody else get what you'd just gotten. Do you remember that feeling? What happened to that? What happened? god spoke to laodicea he condemned them because they were not desperate read for me brother merriman revelation 3
1: verses 15 and 16 i know thy works i know your works that thou art neither cold nor hot you're not cold i would
0: but you're not the greek word zestos you're not boiling you're not boiling you're not
1: cold but
0: you're not boiling either read
1: I would thou wert cold or I hot. would prefer
0: listen to God I would rather you be cold or boiling
1: read so then because thou art lukewarm but
0: because you're lukewarm Luke what? Luke what? See, we justify ourselves for being warm. Well, I'm not just thoroughly on fire for God. You understand, preacher. But, you know, I'm not cold either. That's where Laodicea was. They weren't cold. They hadn't just gone out into the world and started living like a bunch of heathens. But they weren't on fire anymore, and so what did he say?
1: And neither cold nor hot, I will spew the out. I will, and the
0: word there is literally vomit. God said, "You know what? Just being warm makes me sick. I don't want people that are warm." You want to know why? You want to know why God said, I'd prefer you to be cold? Because when you're warm, you convince yourself you're all right. I'm not cold. I'm not backslid. I hadn't walked away from the church. And so you're convinced you're all right. Isn't that exactly what happened in Laodicea? Read verse 17.
1: Because thou sayest, I'm rich. You
0: say, what? Well, I'm rich.
1: Increase with I'm goods. Increased with goods. And have need of nothing. And market. I don't
0: anything
1: and knows not i
0: don't need anything i'm not desperate there's no reason to be desperate what do i have to be desperate about i've got everything i need i talked in tongues last service i responded when the preacher preached i, I i've got my sleeves right my hair right I'm living the standard. I'm paying my tithes. I'm coming to church. I don't need anything else. See, Laodicea, that's the problem with being warm. When you're warm, you think you're okay. But you're not. And God really can't deal with people that think they're okay he really can't if you're convinced you're okay God can't deal with you it's not until you reach a point where you can say not just sing but say God I can't even walk without you holding my hand I can't make it without you God I can't just get up and run to work and not have prayed and not have sought you I can't do that I got to have you today God my co-workers I don't know if one of my co-workers may be killed in an accident before this day is over and if they go to hell and I never tried to reach them what's going to be on my hands I can't do that I can't take that chance I've got to be sensitive to the spirit I've got to be in tune with the Holy Ghost I've got to reach a place where I'm on fire for God God We've got to reach a tipping point. Not just a point where we get stirred up a little bit, but a point where we change. A point where we change. Musicians come. We were supposed to start revival next Thursday night. Brother Herring was supposed to be here next Thursday night to start revival. A man that's greatly used in the gifts of the Spirit, a man that prays people through by the dozens But he called. I talked to him yesterday. Can't come right now, Brother Regan. Praying people through where I am having lots of folks receive the Holy Ghost where I am, I can't come, I can't come. I'm not going to be able to be there until August. When I hung up the phone, I thought, God. And I told him, I want you to stay. I want you to do what, if God's blessing you there, I want you to stay there. Because when you do come here, I want you to stay here until God's done. But I couldn't help but wonder, did God postpone this? Because we're not really desperate for revival right now. You know what? If we don't have revival till August, that's okay. That's all right. We Give us a little time. We'll get a little breather. We've been busy. We've been working. You know, we had a lot going on. and We, we, we could use a little breather. So if we, if we don't have revival till August, that's, that's all right. But how many people, how many people in this city alone are going to go into judgment between now and august that we won't pray through before the evangelist gets here because well if we don't have revival it's okay it's not okay church it's not okay it's not okay with me and I don't want it to be okay with you. I don't want you to be satisfied with just coming to church Thursday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. Okay, we shout a little bit. Okay, we dance a little bit. Hey, we even had a victory march tonight. Hallelujah. Great time. No! Where are the babies? Where are the babies? I've got to have revival. I've got to have revival. I can't take this anymore i can't take it anymore i've seen too much i've been in a revival in panama in the last week i've watched people run to the altars i've watched people flock i've watched them weep and sob and seek god for the holy ghost i've watched them believe the preacher when i preach faith and seen them get their miracles i've preached the same thing here and we walk out without anything happening what's the difference same preacher same message i'll tell you what the difference is they were desperate we're not not desperate. We don't care if it happens or if it doesn't happen. I'll just keep taking the pain medicines. I'll just keep seeing my doctor. I'll be okay. But they're not okay. we got to have God. We've got to have a move of God. we got to have revival. we got to see our loved ones saved. Church, some of them, some of those people live an hour, an hour and a half away. Some of them have to catch a bus. They don't have transportation. They have to catch a bus. One family, I think, has five kids. Is that right, Sister Regan? It was five children, I think, or I think there was five children the Indian family. And they lived like an hour and a half away. And it cost them, I think, $30 or something to get to church. I forget. But, you know, I mean they only make $30 a week if they're making good money. And some of the Indians there aren't making that. And, and 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 so it it cost them a bunch to get to church and so they'll scrape together what they can get and try to ride the bus to church and then somebody in the church will either drive them all the way home or take up offerings or do something to help them ride a bus back home and the service is over on sunday evening and and and, and here we are it's a little rainy tonight it's a little snowy tonight the weather's a little bad I just don't think I can make it I'll just stay home and listen online because I don't want to take a chance I understand I understand there's no real desperation here it doesn't really matter they won't miss me if I'm not there they won't miss me No, that's the wrong attitude all the way around. Number one, whether or not we miss you is irrelevant. It's what you're going to miss from God by not being here. But number two, if you are a part of the body, tell me what part of your body you can just cut off and say, okay, I'll be all right. It's not going to affect me. It does affect. It affects the whole church. Uh Brother Melendez was telling me before service one day, he said, you know, he said here a while back I preached a message about excuses just a little message about excuses and how people just make excuses not to come to church well they had a little testimony service that night and the lady did not know he had just told me that before church we were sitting in his office but she stood up and testified and she said I want to I admit she said for, for several years I was just kind of hit and miss whether I'd be in church and she said but Pastor Melendez preached a message about excuses, and she said it convicted me. And she said, From that time, I don't make any more excuses. I just make sure I'm in church every chance I get. One sermon is all it took. One sermon. And it changed her life. One message, Brother Merriman. How many times have I preached the same thing over and over and over? And we hear it and we amen it. but we're hearers and not doers you know why because we're not desperate we're not desperate I'm preaching to you tonight about the tipping point I'm telling you that every one of us have got to reach a tipping point I don't want God to postpone brother Heron again I don't want him, I don't want it to get close to August and him call and say, I I can't come again, Brother Reagan. I'm sorry, I just can't. I don't, you want to know what I would love to see happen? I'd love to see some folks get a hold of what I'm preaching and then come in without me having to call them here, them just show up at the church early in the morning or be here late at night and praying, no, 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 God, that's not good enough. August is not good enough. We can't wait till August. We've got to have a revival now and something happened in the heart of the saints of God where we say this is it God this is my tipping point give us revival or give us death I'm not going through another week the way we are right now it's now or never God I'm telling you God can send an evangelist God can bring him here God can turn everything around We got to get ourselves ready. We got to get desperate. I don't want another average service. I don't want another dead Sunday morning. Does anybody else feel that way? I don't want another one, Brother Merriman. I've had my last one. I'm tired of it tired of getting in and pumping and priming and pushing and shoving and kicking and screaming and yelling and trying to my best just to get somebody to move shouldn't take that you ought to walk through those doors with a desperation that god if we don't have a move of god today somebody may leave here and die lost we got to have a move of god today we got to have a move of god tonight give us your glory or give us death come on somebody is anybody feeling the burden of this preacher's heart tonight is anybody getting what I'm telling you tonight this is it God mark it down Thursday night May the 2nd this was our tipping point we decided we're not going to live that way anymore oh we've said it in the past we, we're like rachel we we've spoken the words we've let the syllables come out of our mouth but god now we really mean it we're desperate give us children give us children give us children god give us children god save my loved ones save my coworkers. save my neighbors god i can't take this anymore What else have I got to say, church? What else have I got to do to get you out of your pew? What else have I got to say to you tonight before somebody really gets a hold of what I'm telling you? I'm desperate, God. I'm desperate, God. I'm not going to keep living this way. I'm not going to go on this way. It's time for revival at New Life. It's now, God, not August. No, God, not August. God, it's
1: time now.